Hey everyone, Ed Helms here. You might know me as Andy from The Office or Stu from The Hangover, or you might know me as the co-founder of BGS. I know, I'm just as surprised as you. They let me co-found something. But here's the thing, we're doing it again. Yeah, this time we're leaping into our other deep love, the vast and vibrant world of country music with something we're calling Good Country. Now this isn't just another newsletter. Think of Good Country as a place. A place where you can explore, learn, and dig into all of what makes country good. Seriously, country music has so much going on these days, and it's coming from so many different deep and soulful places, and we're here to cover all of it. Just as we've done for Bluegrass and Roots Music at BGS for over a decade. So sign up now at goodcountrybgs.substack.com and let us bring you the many sides of country music straight to your inbox. Good country. It's a nice place to be. Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where They've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else. And then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with mm. other women and mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. Hello, it is Basic Folk, a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I am the host of this show. My name is Cindy House. Thanks for joining us. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can stay in touch with us by signing up for our newsletter. Basicfolk.com is where you get to that and click on the red sign up button. You can also follow us on social media at Basic Folk Pod or on Facebook and Instagram. Um, or if you're feeling real spicy today, you can make a contribution. If you give $5 a month in the shop, you can get a Basic Folk beanie, handmade beanie. I know it's like a perfect time of year if you're listening in real time, August. When this episode comes out, it's not like typically beanie season, but, you know, fall is right around the corner. Uh, basicfolk.com for that. All right. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to get into our guest, the headline for Los Angeles-based Ray Saragossa's new album, Hold That Spirit, is that after she broke off her engagement, she used her wedding budget to fund the recording. She wrote the songs the year she turned 30 while she was thinking of the expectations placed on women in society to have everything together at a certain age, marriage, kids, career, etc. She decided to let those expectations go and live in the joy that life offers and explore her newfound freedom and indigenous identity in these new songs. She's moving forward as a role model in Los Angeles's indigenous community, which she has been a part of since she was 14 years old. We go through the album track by track, covering topics of social justice, 
eating disorders, and perfectionism. She worked exclusively with female collaborators on Hold That Spirit, which allowed Ray a vulnerability in her writing sessions and studio time that she had yet to experience. She found co-writing with other women an easy space to feel emotionally safe. Working with like-minded feminists and activists fueled this album, which has allowed Ray to begin to break through those unfair expectations society places on women. In our conversation, Ray is thoughtful and serious, yet fun and playful, even with such heavy topics. Also, don't sleep on our first interview with Ray Saragossa from episode 107. You can check that out wherever you get podcasts. All right, we'll go through this album, track by track, Hold That Spirit, with Ray Saragossa on Basic Folk. Okay, Ray, are you ready to do this thing? I'm ready. Okay, so many questions about your new album, Hold That Spirit. Mm. But I wanted to start by talking about Netflix and the show Spirit Rangers. You are writing the music yes, um, for this animated series featuring an all-Native American writer's room mm-hmm. and cast. Mm-hmm. It's so cute, and it also seems to me... As your best friend, uh, very appropriate for you to be writing music for a cartoon. We're not best friends, but I feel like we are. Um, (laughs) Yes. But what about your musicality has translated really well to your work on Spirit Rangers? Yes. um, I love that. Also, I remember last time we spoke... We kept talking about how like you wanted to join my cult. <laughs> yeah, so I still do. <laughs> I is so memorable. <laughs> it's like from our last <laughs> interview. I love it. Um, so yeah, best friends, of course. Um, cult Obviously. friends. And um, <laughs> so um, yeah, so Spirit Rangers has been so fun um, to to write and to be a part of. I think that my music has translated into spirit rangers so like seamlessly because it's all storytelling and it's all fun like there's just something so joyous about writing for children's music that i get out of my music as a folk americana songwriter but i don't know like there's there's a way to like i don't know it's like i get to take all the heaviness from life and kind of put it in this lens of spirit park and the spirit rangers world where everything is so light and vibrant and like the sun and the moon are talking and there's a turtle and like a bear cub and a hawk and they're all siblings and their life is just so beautiful and i feel like there's something really refreshing about writing for a kids show but also writing about really important things because the show is about indigenous culture it's about um what all these little kids are going through and being um native and also living in this national park and like dealing with life and so i think it's related because they're both storytelling and they're both almost telling similar stories but from such different lenses you know one is Mm. through my lens and one is through the lens of this spirit world the spirit park colorful vibrant childlike world that is spirit rangers and so Mm. it's all coming from the same place but like a different lens the new album is hold that spirit and if you're down we're going to be digging into 
the songs, which were written the year that you turned 30, mm -hmm. where you were thinking about expectations placed on women, like career, relationship, family, beauty standards, mm -hmm. all that fun stuff. And from knowing you and observing you, it seems like you're constantly working and putting pressure on yourself to achieve. Mm -hmm. How long have you been at odds with your age and reaching these quote unquote societal milestones? Mm -hmm. Like, is there a specific time where things had ramped up for mm -hmm. you? I remember my 19th birthday, I bawled my eyes out because I was like, I haven't achieved enough for being 19, <laughs> which is mm. like so silly to look back on. And I know that <laughs> 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I'm going to look back now at what was my 29-year-old self and be like laughing my ass off and be like, wow, like you put all these expectations <laughs> on yourself and you have so much ahead of you. So I think that it's always been there. Um, I think that growing up as a child actor before I got into music, uh, I always felt like I was too old. Um, when you're a child actor, they're always telling you that your youth is your power and your youth is your money. And once you're over the age of eight, it's harder. And then once you're over the age of 12, Jeez. it's harder. And what you want as a child actor is to, if you're getting older, you just can't look older. Um, and so I just think that that all really stuck with me as a kid, where I was always on this clock of my youth, and I was trying to outrun it. And I, I think that now at age 30, I finally feel like I can let that go um, because I've just gained more perspective. Um, and a lot of the themes of this album are me working through that and realizing that that is all very unnecessary stress and pretty silly. And um, it's just not working <laughs> anymore to be mm. under all that pressure. But yeah, it definitely started as a young child, for sure. Um, probably like age seven, I've started to realize that I wasn't cute anymore i was like i'm not like a toddler so that's a problem <laughs> jeez oh god that's so twisted i'm aging totally normally that's a problem yeah exactly um also right around this time where you were writing this album you got engaged and then you broke it off and one of the headlines of this record is that you used what would have been your wedding budget to yeah. fund the production, which is like such a fucking boss move. Mm -hmm. um, but there has to be like another side of this. Like it's sensitive. It's mm -hmm. private. Yeah. What was it like for you to have that angle of your private life, your private mm -hmm. relationship so public? And how do you mm -hmm. walk that line? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, I think that for me, like I am a sharer. And I can be an oversharer, which I guess has made it pretty natural to be an artist because sharing is such a part of the uh, the job. But I think for me, I wanted to share. I didn't think it was necessary to share any of the specifics of my breakup, but I think it is really important to share the fact that it happened, the fact that I was engaged and then um we broke up because so many songs are about that. And I think it was really, it is really important to share that I decided to use my wedding money for this album because there's something symbolic about that to me. I think that so often, I mean, there's no post I got more likes on 
in my whole career than my engagement post. And there was something that I felt like was so much more valuable to me as a woman getting engaged than like any album I ever released or any song Mm -hmm. I ever wrote or any career milestone. I thought that this very traditional, um, and very traditional and expectation of a woman to get married to me felt like such a bigger accomplishment than anything else I've ever shared. And it kind of like was that way when I posted about it. And I think that that is something that I really wanted to show my fans and audience that there are other things you can do if that's not your path or it's not your path right now. And that's okay. And the symbolism of using my wedding money for my album instead of a wedding is to show that there are other paths. There are other ways you can go. And if you are unhappy or if it's not working for you, that's okay. And you can walk a different path right now and um, no one's going to be mad at you. I mean, people might be mad at you at first, but um, you know, you have to be honest with yourself and this was my truth. And so I wanted to share that with everyone um, because I think there must be people out there who can relate. Do you feel brave? Um, Do I feel brave? I know I did. I know I did when I, I think, I don't know. I I think now I'm starting to feel better. I think I'm finally feeling like myself again. Um, I've had enough uh, distance from like the actual instance of of a breakup um, that I, I feel just like myself. But I think... For a while, yeah, I felt a sense of bravery. I also felt a sense of, of, of like just bad emotions. I felt everything under the sun. Mm. I felt brave. I felt proud of myself. I also felt horrible for um, just breakups in general are never pretty. Um, I feel bad for the things I could have done better. I feel bad for the things they could have done better. And I think that, sure, I felt brave for a while. Um, but I think now I'm finally just feeling okay, um, which took a while. Mm. You worked exclusively with female collaborators on the project, which mm-hmm. is like so cool and very <laughs> rare. And you've talked about co-writing with other women and how it's easy to feel emotionally safe and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that totally like makes sense to to me. And I was wondering if you can expand on how it feels to have only women in the studio recording these songs, like from a technical perspective, like how that felt and how it differs from working with mostly or only men. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I think that on some level working with all women on this album started out as like a, an accident. Like I didn't really set out to make an album uh, produced by all women, written by all women, but I had like such a, a heap of songs I was choosing from and the collaborators I was working with and realized that I was working with mostly women. And I started to realize that there was like this theme where I was starting to feel, um, especially during this time of my breakup, I was just feeling really safe with my sisters and with, um, and the girlfriends I was writing with and it just kind of happened. And then I leaned into it and decided, all right, well, if most of the collaborators are women, let's do this. And let's make sure that the mastering engineer is a woman. Let's make sure that the person who's doing all the visuals is a woman. Um, because, um, you know, 2% of producers are women and a hundred percent of producers on my record are women. I just think that's pretty badass. And, um, and yeah, so I think it was just, 
something that I felt, um, you know, I, I didn't set out to do, but once we did it, I was like, this is, this is, this is awesome. And I just love that. Like my favorite co-writers were just the people who I felt like I could feel safe with during this time in my life. And Mm. they all ended up, you know, being women. And I think, uh, my past records, to be honest, I wrote a lot of songs about, um, being a woman. I wrote a lot of songs about feminism and, you know, a lot of these things. And I co-wrote a lot of them with men. And it's interesting to like think back on that because I didn't even, <laughs> even think about it. Um, so to write themes about so much about like my experience um, in like as societal expectations of women and, and et cetera, to create that with other women, I just feels right. Um, and it's interesting to look back and to, to realize that I hadn't even thought of that in my in the ways I was creating before. Mm. You ever going to go back now? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess exactly. Yeah. I guess men can be helpful too sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have lots of men in, on, in my corner on my team and like that I work with and I have I'm not, nothing against, you know, people who are not women or, you know, men, but uh yeah, for this project it was fun. <laughs> cool. All right, let's get into some of these songs on the new album, Hold That Spirit. I want to stand on a hill and sing at the top of my lungs. I want to dance, tell my tales, cry, run, do whatever I want. I want to join the joy revolution. First track, Joy Revolution, mm-hmm. quite the banger. <laughs> um, it sees you choosing to be happy, and you say, mm-hmm. I think joy is a cause worth fighting for. This is also a social justice song in many ways. I'd love to know what has been your relationship throughout your life mm-hmm. to choosing joy and yeah. how it's changed for you. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I ended up writing an essay about joy that I'm going to release eventually. But um, I interviewed my mom, who's an immigrant from Japan, about her relationship to joy. And her she's like the like smiliest, like most sunshiny person ever, like five feet, just like so much energy and like so much love <laughs> pouring from her soul. Um, and I asked her, like, you know, what was your relationship to joy growing up? And she was like, we didn't really think about joy and happiness. We were more concerned with getting our things done and our chores and my parents were always working and we didn't really interact that much because they were busy and you know just moved to a, a new country and I I realized that my mom has really had to like learn about her relationship to joy in a way that was passed down to me and that now I feel like it's my job and my duty to experience as much joy as possible because all of my ancestors on both sides really worked hard and were in a lot of survival mode. Um, And now I'm in this very privileged position of getting to make music for a living. So if my ancestors fought this hard for a better life for my mom and on my, my dad's side, you know, same thing, then I need to make sure that I'm 
doing them justice by experiencing mm. that laughter, um, experiencing those smiles, um, and, and walking in gratitude every day, um, because they worked so hard for that. And so I think my relationship to, to joy is very much related to my ancestors and related to my grandparents, and my great grandparents. And mm. I'm constantly thinking of them when I'm enjoying my life because I didn't get here on my own. Um, everything that I have accomplished or that I get to experience or the freedoms that I get on a day-to-day basis were earned by my ancestors. So that's, you know, that's really my, my relationship to joy is, is realizing that I, I could spend the whole day moping around and being like, my life sucks or I'm sad or boo-hoo. But then if I put it into context with, um, you know, my ancestors, I really have so much to be grateful for. I want to join the joy revolution don't close your eyes when it's frightening let that thunder grow through the ages you open up all the cages hold that spirit hold that spirit close all right the next song Hold That Spirit is a song about facing your demons as a way to set yourself free, holding your ancestors close and holding your fears close too. Mm -hmm. There's another quote about the song where you say, holding that spirit close is about not letting go of yourself even when the tides are pushing you down. Mm -hmm. That's right. What does it look like to hold that spirit for you on like a daily basis? Mm -hmm. Uh, What does the struggle of that choice look like for you now? On a day-to-day basis, holding that spirit close for me now means not running away from the dark feelings or the difficult feelings or the anxious feelings. I've realized that my way of coping with anxiety and actually reaching a better place with my anxiety is by leaning into it. I think for so long I was avoiding the fear, avoiding the tough things in my heart, and that was making me more and more anxious. But literally thinking about all of those things that I've been trying to avoid, all those feelings or insecurities or anything, and literally like holding them as close to me as possible, that has been helping me so much. You know, I think about like my dog. And she kind of like doesn't like to cuddle sometimes. <laughs> like she's not like the cuddliest dog, even though she's like a tiny little lap shih tzu. But I'll pick her up and she'll like almost like squirm. But if I just like hold her really close and start petting her and I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. Then she relaxes and she's so good. And then she like loves to be in my <laughs> arms. And I think about that with my fears and if I, my fears and my uncertainties and just confronting my breakup and confronting um you know, I have a song about disordered eating on this album and mm. just confronting these things that I really would love to just ignore. They're going to squirm, but if I can just hold them tight and just tell them it's going to be okay, then we can we can exist together in a really beautiful, peaceful way. And so that's how it is for me on a day-to-day. I'm constantly mm. trying to just hold those things close and be like, don't run, don't run, look at me, we're okay, we're good, Let, let's talk. <laughs> Shout out to the dog, Bronx. Yeah. Oh, it's not Bronx anymore. Bronx passed away. Oh, no. Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, Bronx passed away last year. He was old. He was a very sweet um, adopted senior dog I got during the pandemic. So I knew I only had a couple years with him. But he passed away last year. But I ended up adopting another Shih Tzu. (laughs) 
And she's like, she looks like his twin. Yes. Bougie is like kind of like a, I hate, I hate to say it, but like a prettier version of Bronx because Bronx had a snaggle tooth and like kind of a big bump on his head. And he was like a street dog for oh. a few. So he was really weathered. <laughs> Bougie's one right. years old and just like fresh from the cocoon and very pretty. Oh. <laughs> but they are both Shih Tzus. They both look very similar, but um, Bougie's literally um, half the size of what Bronx was. Bronx was like 20 pounds. Oh. Bougie's nine pounds. <laughs> but yeah, I have oh. a type. I have a real type with dogs. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry to hear about Bronx. Yeah, it's okay. He, it's lived, really a, he lived a good yeah. life. Hold that spirit close. Hold that spirit. Hold that spirit close. I know you're scared, I know you're scared But you won't be scared alone You're not as far, you're not as far As you think you are from home Every line that we've drawn, every bond that we've broken After The next song is Still Here. Mm-hmm. Um, you are of, let's see if I can get this, Akmel Odam descent? Akmel Odam, yeah, close. <laughs> Akmel Odam? Yeah, close. Almost, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this song is about owning your culture and acknowledging mm-hmm. how indigenous people exist everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you live in Los Angeles and have... Mm-hmm been a part of the native community there for Mm -hmm. most of your life and you've been reconnecting Mm -hmm. to your indigeneity for the past decade Mm -hmm. um especially in working on the show spirit rangers Mm -hmm. like what have you learned about yourself um working with these Mm -hmm. like young actors um Mm -hmm. about the importance of having indigenous role models Mm -hmm. uh for you and then also being one yourself yeah um that's a great question i think that uh I'm 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 always in a place of learning um, about my indigeneity. Um, being someone who's mixed race and also born and raised in New York, and you know my level of connection to being indigenous as a kid was just on the weekends going to the American Indian Community House in in New York and connecting to other Native kids um, from different you know, ancestry and tribes, but we all were like living in the city and didn't really know how to contextualize any of it as a kid. Um, And now as an adult, doing my best to constantly uh, be educating myself and rediscovering what it means to be autumn, um, it's it's a very humbling process. um, And I always feel like I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly in a place of not knowing. And I'm always in a place of of listening. Um, But then with Spirit Rangers, it's been so amazing getting to you know, be a part of a machine, be a part of a team and telling the story of Carissa Valencia, who's the creator of the show and showrunner, who's Shumash, um, and getting to learn from all the other actors who are of many different backgrounds of indigenous uh, backgrounds and, and getting to every episode has different stories. I mean, we even have stories on this, uh, 
on the show that are Maori or um, Native Hawaiian um, and just so many different indigenous cultures that all come together on the show, like not only Shumash. And yeah, it's, it's just been an amazing experience. And I think that representation for Native youth is so important because a lot of Native children feel very invisible and they feel like the only way they're represented is through mascots and through things that are not proper representations of Native children. And so now we have so many shows that Native kids get to feel themselves reflected back to, like Reservation Dogs, like Rutherford Falls, like Spirit Rangers. Um, and it's really powerful to get to be a part of that. Um, and I, I work with all the little kids on the show and you know, one of them actually lives like down the street from me in Long Beach. And uh, it's really amazing getting to see him uh, really inspired by all of the people working on the show because he's looking up to them. But I'm also looking at how so many Native kids are going to look up to him and feel so seen by him being this star on TV. And um, it's really I like could I I really could get choked up thinking about it. because um, Talon, who's the kid I'm referring to, who lives in Long Beach, um, you know, he's so incredibly talented and, and he gets to be on the show and, and speak up. And he's like 10 years old and already like such a trailblazer for representation of Native youth. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's really important and really beautiful. So, yeah, it's just been the best experience ever. question is a little hairy mm-hmm. about romantic thing number 248 yes. <laughs> a song about falling in love yeah. during the pandemic where you said all I wanted to do was dance in a packed concert with someone I love so badly mm-hmm. so this relationship did not last and you feel haunted by this line in particular that said I want to take a chance with you mm-hmm. so I and most of us mm-hmm. completely understand the desire to be around other people during the pandemic mm-hmm. it was devastating yeah I also wonder about like your reflections of this song in terms of being okay with like Mm -hmm. being alone with someone. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to make this question too personal, but like in terms of needing other people around your intimacy Mm -hmm. with this song, like how does that sit with you? Wow. That's really interesting. I never thought of it that way. Um, I think it was interesting fall like, when you're falling in love with someone with no one else around, um, we were very isolated during the pandemic. And I don't really know what that means exactly, but I feel like there was a part of me that was really, really, really dead set on finding companionship and love during the pandemic um, that maybe, I don't know, I don't want to say that this relationship, I regret it at all. I don't. I really don't. I had some beautiful moments. Um, it was a huge learning experience. 
But I think there were things that I realized in my intuition very early on that I quieted because there was such difficulty in the pandemic to feel connected. And I didn't have my community of people around me like we do usually when we're being Mm. when we're like, like, I don't know, like we, I was thinking, we were I was talking to my friend about like when you fall in love in high school and like you get like, it's like your whole community gets to like watch you fall in love. They get to kind of like, it, it gets like bounced off of everyone. And like your friends are a part of like seeing how mm. you're treated and, and seeing how you relate to someone new. And it's like a communal experience in a way that I think is really healthy that I didn't have during the pandemic. And so I think it was pretty easy to lose myself into a relationship in the pandemic because I didn't have as much community. And I think this song does Mm -hmm. show how much I was craving community. That doesn't mean I regret the relationship at all, but I think it does mean that I do feel on some level, um, I want to make sure that in the future when I fall in love, it's something that I feel like I can incorporate in my community and not something that I get lost in and like isolates me from my community ooh yeah Mm -hmm. good answer Mm -hmm. you set me straight yeah (laughs) (laughs) I wanna be myself with you I wanna be myself with you I wanna take off all our clothes and tell you things that no one knows I wanna be myself with you Running on empty chasing down that golden needle My brakes have gone out and I'm handcuffed to the wheel I've got a hunger, a hunger, a hunger that's sinking its teeth in me. All right. The song Enough mm-hmm. is about um, being a workaholic. Mm-hmm. It's about losing yourself to a sneaky addiction, mm-hmm. ambition, which mm-hmm. uh, I read that line in your track by track description yeah. and was like, whoa, that is so true. Yeah. Um, where does this need to work so hard come from within you? And how do you see your evolution of finding balance in your mm-hmm. career? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a workaholic. Um, <laughs> I definitely identify with burnout and overworking myself and and being the reason. You know, it's like no one else is asking me to do this, but I I was a competitive gymnast as a kid and I remember my coach, I was like literally on the balance beam crying because I was so overwhelmed and I was like I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to sit down, but I wouldn't stop practicing my routine. And my coach came over to me and he was like, no one is asking you to keep practicing. You are working harder than anyone else on the team, but you're not getting the same results because you're so hard on yourself and you just keep Mm. on beating yourself down. And um, I feel like I I continue to do that. Um, I don't think I work harder than other people. I think that I make it harder for myself because while I'm trying to move forward, I'm also in my own head, kind of pushing against myself and being like, well, that's not Mm -hmm. enough. It's not enough. Keep working harder. It's not enough. It's not enough. So it's like this constant push pull. 
Um, and I think that that might come from um, being the daughter of an immigrant. Um, I think the immigrant um, mentality is about hard work. It's about putting your head down and working hard, getting educated and and making a good life. And I think that's a, a survival tactic that many immigrants have to adapt to um, because moving to the United States is not an easy thing. Um, so I know that's how my mom, you know, she's all mm. about education, hard work, um, excellence, straight A's that I admire her for. I don't hold it against her. Um, and that's how I was raised. Um, I know my dad, when I was a kid, would tell me that, you know, you're a woman and you're uh, a brown woman. So you're going to have to work harder than everyone else if you want to keep up. And he told me that my whole life. And so it's ingrained in me that if I want to keep up, I have to work harder and I think now he probably has chilled out. <laughs> He's not like telling me that every day. But I think I'm grateful. My parents were so intense when I was a kid. They were kind of like their own version of stage parents because it definitely ingrained a work ethic in me. But now as an mm-hmm. adult, I'm like working my way back to being like, you know, you don't have to beat yourself up every day. You can have good self-talk and you can still do well. And, you know, there is a line in that um, where Connie and I wrote uh, in Enough um, with AG about, you know, I'm telling my deeper secrets just to make them listen and about how with music, it's like we're constantly sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing and remembering that we can keep some things for ourselves. um, But also like writing for me is like therapy. So it's like constantly trying to find the lines between sharing and oversharing and opening up your heart and then keeping some for yourself. So yeah, those are things I continue to grapple with. This next song, Not a Monster, is about your eating disorder, which um, you talked about orthorexia, characterized mm-hmm. by an extreme focus on healthy eating. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your history of body image? Mm-hmm. When did you start to feel pressure to perfect your body? Uh, I think if I can, if I can look back at like a time when I was started to become aware of body perfection probably was um when I started modeling as a child I mean my first modeling job was at 11 months old and then I think that when I was um I'm I'm sorry I'm forgetting what age but it was somewhere between 8 and 12 um I started doing fit modeling for like Capizio Dancewear and different dance companies uh yeah dance spandex yeah 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 like different like dance dancey things um because I was a child like I danced as a kid too but um I, I was a fit model so basically like my size was intermediate at that age and then they would have me try on all of the different leotards and 
um, outfits and they would take photos and base the sizing for the company off of my body. So I would come in every few weeks or, you know, and then have everything fit to my body until eventually I got too big. And then I, I lost that job because I was no longer an intermediate for Capizio. And, um, I think that that messed with my head a little bit as a kid. My eyes are bulging. Yeah. Right now. Holy yeah. smokes. Um, because you're, you're going to get bigger because you're going to get older. You know, I was somewhere between eight and 12. I'm forgetting, but, um, mo- modeling, you know, is very for for me as a kid being so sensitive to it I think already having a propensity for it was maybe a little dangerous because if you couldn't fit into the clothes you couldn't have the job and after the job you got you got to like you 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 felt really good about yourself you were working you were like a kid model you were on the I even did like a runway show for Capizio when I was like 10 or something and I, uh, I felt a lot of joy doing it. I really did. And so being a fit model, being like your body is like the perfect body for this age group of, of young girl and then being sized out um, is really definitely where it started. Um, and then, I mean, all of us were just very aware. It was very normal to be incredibly aware of everything you were putting in your body in middle school for me. I remember we all would say to each other, okay, if you're hungry, just take a sip of water. Like, don't eat anything because if you eat, then you're going to get whatever. And uh, that was normal. We all would tell each other these things. We were like 12, 13 years old. And then mm-hmm. by the time I was 15, it was a full on issue and it was all consuming and my body stopped working. I literally like, you know, my, my, like my body as a woman stopped functioning, like literally. And I was sick and I think it was pretty bad, like age 15 and 16, but I was able to hide it enough that I never had any intervention. Um, but you know, there were always people showing concern and then kind of being like, well, whatever, like, you know, this is just like a normal thing girls go through. And then, yeah, pretty much throughout my entire life from then on, I've had a tumultuous relationship with food, with compulsive behavior around dieting and exercise and food consumption. And I decided to get help this past year because it got really bad during the pandemic. And I think that for a lot of people who struggle with disordered eating, it it got it flared up during the pandemic because you were isolated you didn't have your community to mm-hmm. uh call you out or i didn't have to eat meals with anyone so i could do whatever i wanted to do in my compulsive ways and no one could call me out and be like what are you doing um and so uh yeah the pandemic is when it got really real and i noticed okay I cannot look away anymore. I have a problem. I need to get help. And so I started to go to therapy and I started to go to coaching um, for intuitive eating and eating disorder recovery. And now I'm on the other side of it and so much healthier, so much better in my mind and my body. And my day is not run run by compulsive behavior Mm -hmm. anymore. And that's such freedom that I never thought I could have. Uh, Part of me really thought that for the rest of my life, I would have this compulsion and dark secret. Um, and it was just going to be exists. And that was just going to be that. Um, and that was just always going to be my life. But um, I, I, I really want to talk about it more openly um, with this album, because I hope that other people who struggle will decide to get help and realize that there is a way out, um, because it is like a mental prison, a mental hell that 
you just don't even really understand if you can get out of it. But like, I promise mm. you can. And that's what not a monster is about. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love the line. My body is not a monster. Yeah, exactly. It hits. Yeah. Yeah. It really hits. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely something that's all too common that people deal with and you feel like a monster. And I felt like if I told anyone, they would see the monster in me and they would be disgusted or they would turn mm. away. And I think that there's this like thing with social media or being an artist where like, I want to portray myself as being like effortlessly happy and effortlessly joyous every day. And you post obviously your good days on social media. And I just, you know, I've always been very open with my audience, but this was one thing that I never ever considered sharing, but I think probably it's like the thing that, um, is really most important to share. Cause for me, I found the bravery to start talking about it after reading Jeanette McCurdy's book. Um, I'm glad my mom died that she gets very, very, um, explicitly real and descriptive about her bulimia. And I was so moved by her book and she helped me get help. So, and, 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 you know, get to a place where I could share. And so I think that if I can do that for someone else, then like, that's important. I don't wanna be a woman crying on the floor at night. I don't wanna keep on searching for the day I feel alright. I don't wanna be, I don't wanna be burning, burning at both sides. I don't wanna keep on running with the blindfold on my eyes. Sweetheart, you gotta keep moving. Don't you frown, it's unbecoming. And keep your crown from falling. You better not let them down. The next song, Sweetheart, is about the pressures put on women to be perfect. Perfect partner, businesswoman, caretaker, everything all at once. Um, So you have chosen to release these expectations and saying it's too much pressure to try to be everyone's sweetheart, Mm -hmm. which um, (laughs) I used to do the morning show at a radio station and people would this is like back when I would answer the phone I actually Mm -hmm. stopped answering the phone because of stuff like this like people would call me up and like (laughs) use words like sweetheart Mm -hmm. dear darling like that kind of and it was always men doing it um so I have my own feelings about that but what's your response when a stranger calls you sweetheart (laughs) I feel like I laugh I mean like 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 sweetheart like you don't like well my initial response and that always comes out of my mouth is like you don't know me like you don't know me like sweetheart like what like you don't even know me like I you don't (laughs) I get really up in arms about kind of demeaning terms of endearment when someone does not know me I'm just like you don't know me um yeah it's just it's uncomfortable it's there's like a level of like demeaning like condescension with those kinds of terms that um, I think are just pretty toxic. Um, Mm. And the, like the chorus, like sweetheart, you got to keep 
moving. Don't you frown. It's unbecoming and keep your crown from falling. You better not let them down. It's like just this feeling like constantly having to be balancing this crown on your head and not letting anyone see you fall or letting anyone see you shake because that is not cute. And then you're crazy and then you're unstable. It's like you just have to always be portraying this level of togetherness as a woman because, you know, we've had so many people say that we can't handle responsibilities or we can't be CEOs or we can't be this or that. Um, and you just it's it's hard to like constantly be balancing that crown on your head and not not frown at any time um it's unsustainable and it's it's a it's an unfair expectation Large crowds for us in lights, fireworks in July. I'm smiling, but my heart's beating too fast. Alcohol and caffeine make my worry go insane. A stomach ache that I just can't get past. Heavy Hearts Club is about not being alone in your anxiety and feeling a sense of community around anxiety and how mm-hmm. that's helped you so much. Yeah. Um, I'm also an anxious person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as an anxious person, how do you react to others' anxieties? Um, it's interesting. Sometimes when I'm around other anxious people, um, I can go either way. I can either like it can calm me down. Because I can now have this purpose of helping them calm down, <laughs> which is like also like kind of codependent. But um, <laughs> I'm like, OK, like I'm not the most anxious person in the room. I feel better. But um, I think but sometimes also like other anxious people can trigger my anxiety. But what I've realized is being around other anxious people who are also working towards um, helping themselves and working towards healing is been, has been the best thing and has uh, really helped me um, being in community with other people who struggle with anxiety. I've always run anxious um, my whole life. Um, When I was a kid, I used to like literally at night, like make a list of all my worries. And then at night I would read them and I would read everything I was worried about and then go to sleep. Like what? Like who calm you down? Yeah. I was like, (laughs) why? (laughs) Um, And uh, I think, yeah, I think that even with like healing with like eating disorder stuff, I've almost become more anxious because now it's like all bubbling to the surface so that it can be healed. And um, and so, yeah, I think that I also with Heavy Hearts Club just want to like kind of show people that they're not alone and that, um, you know, you can have a music career that's going well and uh, be writing on a Netflix TV show and doing all these cool things and still be anxious on a day to day basis. And that's yeah. all right. It's totally cool. Um, You know, I may always run anxious. Um, I've been doing a lot of fun things that have been helping me. I did my first float tank and that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) And I keep on trying to get my friends to come with me. Um, But anyway, I've been like just trying to do all these self-care things to like kind of see what works Mm. for me and my anxiety. And um, I, I definitely feel like being in community with others who struggle is helpful and to bounce ideas off of other people about how to um, to be better and to do better and to to feel good on a day to day basis is super helpful. And um, I have friends that 
uh, I, we hold each other accountable for journaling. Journaling helps me at the beginning of my day. Meditation helps me at the beginning of my day to set me up for like a better day. And so I have mm-hmm. girlfriends who are always like, did you journal today? How many times did you journal this week? And we have like an app where we like keep track of it. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, it's good to have community. How do you join the club? Is there a membership fee? Yes. <laughs> No, there's no membership fee, but by joining the club, you just, um, I don't know. I think it's like something about, even when you're meditating, I think I, one time I did a meditation where they were like, think about everyone else who's meditating at the same time right now. And that gave me like so much peace. And so that's how you can join the heavy hearts club. It's just like, take a, take five minutes, 10 minutes a day, um, close your eyes and, um, think about everyone else at the same time. Who's, who's, uh, maybe, doing the same meditation, struggling through the same things at the same time as you, and just know that you're not alone. And that's that's the club. <laughs> All right, great. Yeah, sounds easy. Eyes. Face it, we're getting older, a little bit stronger. We've come this far. Late night, skipping the chasers, playing for strangers at the bar. Garden is a song about the unfair expectations placed on women as they age in terms of like marriage, house, mm-hmm. kids, career. And you, as you turn 30, left these materialistic milestones behind you and living in the richness of today, Mm -hmm. following your intuition rather than expectation. So what does it feel like to follow intuition versus expectations? Mm -hmm. Like, do you have new milestones and what do those look Mm -hmm. like? Oh, that's a good question. You know, like my old milestones were, I need to be engaged by 30. I need to have a kid by 33. I need to have a house by 31. Like just all these things that were running my life and they weren't working. They were just creating more chronic anxiety. And um, now, you know, my milestones are day to day. So my milestones for today is how do I feel? How am I treating others? How am I treating myself? And um, how am I showing up for myself? And, and how am I just, how am I feeling good? Like that's literally all I care about at this point is, um, is feeling my best and treating others the best I can. Um, and that will lead me on the path I need to go. Um, I obviously make plans. I have a tour coming up. I have this coming up. I have that coming up. I want to show up for all of those things the best I can. But I've realized that I can show up for everything the best I can by not um, obsessing over outcomes. So now... I feel like my milestones are more day to day. I'm like, did I show up for my day the best that I could? Did I follow through on my um, responsibilities and the things I said I would do today and the interviews I had or the songs I'm writing or did I, was I as present as possible? That's all I can do. And so I don't really have a plan anymore. Um, I have desires. I would love to have kids one day. I would love to get married. I would love to have those things. Um, But if they don't work out for me, like that's okay. And if they do, then great. And if they do, and then, they don't later then okay like i'm 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 learning to be at peace with all of the ways life can go because you know i'm not s- special like we're all special and i'm not like guaranteed to have my every hope and dream that's silly you know and, and none of us are and we're all just on this like 
we're all floating together, just trying to do our best. And so I'm trying to release all of those things that like, I need this, I need that. Like, how could I not have that or blah, blah, blah. It's just so, <laughs> such a waste of energy. And so now I'm living, living more in a day to day. Um, and, um, just trying to do right by myself and the people I love and, um, and heal. <laughs> a skylight and a garden. Tell me what that means. When this shit is over, do you wanna go away with me? Maybe to Arizona, backpacking through Germany. I know we said some stuff, but that don't matter, don't you agree? When this shit is over, do you wanna go away with me? The last song in the album. It's called When This Shit Is Over. You wrote it at the start of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And you said there is a naivety to the song. Why is that word so hard? (laughs) There's a naivety. Can you say the word, Ray? Naivete? Yep, that's it. (laughs) There's a naivete in this song that my older self smiles at. There's something beautiful and pure about this song that makes me remember what it was like during those pandemic months. Mm-hmm. How do you like typically relate to that naivete mm-hmm. in your work? Like, do you always view it as a sweet thing? Like, mm-hmm. is it ever embarrassing? Yeah, I'm definitely embarrassed by like a lot of things all the time. I think that kind of comes with being an oversharer is like I'm always sharing how I feel in that time and then putting it out publicly and then looking back and being like, oh my gosh. But that's why I wanted to share this song because I think that during the pandemic, I just wanted to be safe. Like I wanted like some knight in shining armor to come to my door and be like, I'm going to take you away from the pandemic and you're, and you're going to be okay. And I think that I look back on that song and I wanted to put it on the album one, because um, all my fans literally like went on a protest and like messaged me about it over and over on Patreon until I put it on. But um, also because uh, I think that I like to start things where they end and end them where they start. So ending the album with this song is kind of like start ending with the place I was at before I wrote the rest of the songs. And it was at this place of just really wanting someone to save me, uh, wanting someone to like swoop me up and and help me um, save me from my own anxiety and my own save me from myself really. Um, And I realized that that's not how it works, but um, I needed to learn that the hard way. When this shit is over, do you want to fall in love with me? Well, before we go, will you do the lightning round? Yes. Light me All up. right. What is your favorite secret spot in Los Angeles? My favorite secret spot in Los Angeles is definitely Long Beach. So Mother's Beach and Long Beach, my favorite spot. Is that near the dog beach? It's close by, but like on the other side. I went to Long Beach a few months ago, and uh, I was like, "Where is Ray? I should have, I yes, should have told you." What I was you should have, dummy, <laughs> stupid dummy. Okay, next question: Who is your favorite spirit ranger? Oh my gosh, I can't pick favorites. My favorite spirit ranger. Okay, I'm gonna have to say my favorite spirit ranger is um, my brother. He's not even he's on spirit rangers, but he he played um, Moy the emo wolf and I loved this character even before my brother played the character but this wolf is so cute and he's like emo and he lives in a cave and then he doesn't want anyone to bother him because he makes all his cave drawings by himself and 
I wrote a really angsty song for him, and so yeah, he's my favorite. Oh, <laughs> uh, are you still into hats? Yeah, yeah, still into hats. Okay, what is your current favorite hat? My current favorite hat is this bright red one I got in Mexico City. Um, my favorite one is the bright red one, but I actually bought it in five different colors, and I was traveling. <laughs> And so I had to like stack them all like on my head and like get on the plane like that so I could. No way. <laughs> yeah. It was so You goofy. are ridiculous. I didn't want to check a bag. I don't want to pay $30. Of course. Right. <laughs> best roller skating song. Oh gosh. Best roller skating song. Definitely Skate Silk Sonic. I mean, you just can't beat that mm. song. <laughs> you just can't beat it. Who's your favorite action hero? Oh, my favorite action hero. Gosh, oh my gosh, this is a hard one. I don't even know any action heroes very well. Um, my favorite action hero, Catwoman. All right. Yeah. This is the this is the last one. Where is your next dream vacation? My next dream vacation is Japan. I must go uh, to Japan. Great. I'm, let's all go. Let's all go. Everyone of us. Everybody. Ray Saragosa, thank you so much. Congratulations. On the new record, Hold That Spirit. So awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's so good to talk to you again. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton composes our music. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there, wherever you get podcasts. You can search for us on the SiriusXM app. Search for Basic Folk. Or you can go to our website, basicfolk.com. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Okay, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.